And now, Box 39 Red Button is handing over its slot to one of its stablemate programs. Welcome to Bill's Big Bag of Musicologies, where we cast our ears back to musical selections from past editions of Box 39 and the essential analyses and commentaries by Guppy Productions' very own aid. That is to say, me. This is Cone Radio on 106.6 FM. Here we have the musicologies from an episode of Box 39 on the topic of obsolete. When my wife told me that she was with Squirrel after a long period of appetency, I'll admit I feel jar-goggled, but wishing to deliciate too, and being the scapegrace that I am, I felt an urge to wassail, and ended up fuzzled to the point of being quite ludibrious. My wobbly walk home was sheer peregrination, and the chirmering had me visiting the Jakes. There may have been some flux. My wife, ever the grumpish one, was quite contumely with me when I walked in, and I, as ever, played the poltroon and kenched. Understandably, I was then slubbered a gullion and had a monsterful ague in my crumpet that all but gave me lethothobia. But some apricity soon got me frecking, despite some lingering ruth and crapulous sensations. That morning, of course, my wife wanted to commence excogitating with me about the impending squirrel. Given the sanguinary nature of what she would endure, and being in no position to brabble, I sat in what we call the caboose and nibbled on sippets and agreed with everything she said. Me. 
Studying Shakespeare in secondary schools is linguistic and cultural archaeology, or autopsies. Shakespeare is used for purposes of literary dissection and analysis. It's like pulling the wings off flies and to see how they work, or studying a joke to eventually understand why it's funny. But literature doesn't exist for its symbols and imagery, nor are they the reason authors write. What's important is character and story and the discussions around the meanings that grow out of them. In that respect, Shakespeare is singularly unfit for purpose. There's too much baggage. Shakespeare's imagination may be unparalleled, but he doesn't speak for everyone. The English canon is so vast that even a university English major will read barely a fraction of it. Bright students may well be intrigued, which is terrific, but for those who are lost, lessons are an eternity in the dentist's chair. We should focus on the books most likely to spur kids' love of the written word. Shakespeare may be our finest writer, but what schools do in his name is a crime. In 1965, the new administrative area of Greater London was created, resulting in the abolition of the counties of London and Middlesex, at the same time taking in areas from surrounding counties, meaning it straddled four ancient counties in addition to Middlesex, namely Essex, Hertfordshire, Kent and Surrey. Then, in 1974, reform took place. Its administrative counties and county boroughs were abolished, and England was divided into counties. These were of two types, metropolitan and non-metropolitan counties. Apart from local government, the new counties were substituted for counties of any other description for judicial, shrievalty, lieutenancy and other purposes. Several counties, such as Cumberland, Hereford, Rutland, Westmoreland and Worcestershire, vanished from the administrative map. A review of the structure of local government in England in 1990 led to the restoration of Herefordshire, Rutland and Worcestershire as administrative areas and the abolition of Avon, Cleveland and Humberside within a mere 25 years of their creation. Another turning point, a fork stuck in the road Time grabs you by the rest, directs you where to go So make the best of this test and don't ask why It's not a question but a lesson learned in time It's something unpredictable, but in the end is right I hope you had the time of your life Price University's Tourism Development Department has started a do-it-yourself tour of the London Underground aimed at the Japanese market, for which they provide notes in Japanese and a Price University exclusive map of a 10-station route that unfolds a superb subterranean history of the city. 
The tour starts at King William Street and then City Road on the City and South London Railway, followed by Down Street and Brompton Road on the Great Northern Piccadilly Line. Then the tourists make their own way to Swiss Cottage on the Metropolitan Line before travelling to Wood Lane on the Hammersmith and City Line. The Price University exclusive map makes all this clear. Then on to Mark Lane and Tower Hill on the Circle Line and Blake Hall on the Epping Onger and Central Line. Then they should make their own way at their own expense to Aldwych on the Great Northern Piccadilly Line before ending up at Charing Cross on the Jubilee Line. The Japanese tourists are advised on how to buy their own tickets. No meals provided, 200,000 yen all in. Payment in advance, no refunds. It's something unpredictable, but in the end is right. I hope you had the time of your life. You're listening to Bill's Big Bag of Musicologies, an intriguing compilation of AIDS musical choices and the odd commentaries he thinks we need to hear. Wherever you're going, I wanna go. Wherever you're headed, can you let me know? I don't mind catching up. I'm on my way Just can't take the thought of you miles away And I know you're going somewhere To make a better life I hope that you find it On the first try And even though it kills me That you have to go I know I will be sadder Price University's International Studies Department is currently selling fully self-accredited ambassador positions to Abyssinia, Tibet, South Vietnam, North and South Yemen, Newfoundland, Czechoslovakia and East Pakistan, each for £2,000 or £1,500 cash. Abyssinia is a kingdom in northeast Africa. Some say that in the early 20th century it split into the states of Eritrea and Ethiopia. We reached out to Price University for comment, but they didn't return our call. Then there is Tibet, which was invaded by China in 1950, but the legitimacy of this invasion has not been recognized by Price University. Next, there are non-refundable ambassadorships available for South Vietnam, which has existed since 1954, despite allegedly spurious claims that it is now part of a unified Vietnam. Price University is also selling ambassadorships to North Yemen and South Yemen, which became two countries in 1967. This is unaffected by reports that in 1990 the two rejoined to form a unified Yemen. Ambassadorships are also available to Czechoslovakia, East Pakistan and the German Democratic Republic.
It was lumming down at the Twitter light, and I was feeling beef-witted. Having twattled for an hour or more, mere abhominal and emoiling subsaltation, if you ask me, the varsity of the wheelful smatch was more muscle than gurgeon, or, as one might say, as the precipitation fell, I found I had forgotten my piss coat. Thoughts hogloomed to scrunty composture and merifical wogin, but I thought better of it. Far be it from me to obtrude the courtledge or seek to linquish another's penny grass like a straw shoe frigified in the doctrix of an obstropolis and cotted meat wand. You won't find me mincing my words on this. There'll be no crownment, no twile and hurchin, no orkness delivered with malagrugrous fees. Just wait for the trifoli of the ambuscade, where obsolete lexicography tumbles and torrents from a gaping rictus, like a billowing embouchure, fizz-gigging numbles at a wheelie espousal. As I said, just wait for that. They say social media empowers ordinary people, but does so indiscriminately. Well, that's a price worth paying in this brave new age of free speech and the unfettered right to influence others. I've done very well out of it. I'm now a social media thought leader with 2.5 million followers in the UK alone. Last month, I was working on my laptop in the garden when a ladybird landed on my arm. I don't like the dirty little things. I speculated online about them spreading a genital-eating disease. Now, a month later, ladybirds have been all but eradicated from the British Isles. Abyssinia is Blue by Ernest Mallory, 1936. Egypt is Red 
So we have Cairo and Alexandria too. But the Italian blighters are in Africa and so Abyssinia is blue. Sudan is red on the map, so Khartoum is in our paternal hands. But Abyssinia is blue because the Italians invaded those lands. Uganda and Kenya both kneel to rule Britannia's crown, while the nearby Abyssinia is blue, as are all of its towns. King George surveys red Somaliland and red Tanganyika too. But he looks upon Abyssinia and he sees churlish Italian blue. Rhodesia and Nigeria bow to London's virtuous plans, but the blue of Abyssinia means that Italians plunder those lands. Gambia and Gold Coast red on the map one and all, but the blue of Abyssinia sticks in this Englishman's craw. What was Downing Street thinking? Who dropped the ball? As Italians daub patronizing blue on noble Africa's horn. Red across the continent means good governance and jolly sports, but the blue of Abyssinia means that cocksure Italy cavorts. If there should be another great war one day, let Britain invade Abyssinia and make it red without delay. This is Cone Radio on 106.6 FM. Here we have the musicologies from an episode of Box 39 on the topic of peers. Sitting in the morning sun I'll be sitting when the evening comes Watching the ships roll in I'll watch them roll away again I'm just sitting on the dock of the bay Watching the tide roll away I'm sitting on the dock of the bay Wasting time I left my home in Georgia Headed for the Frisco Bay Cause I've got nothing to live for And look like nothing's gonna come my way So I was excited when Bill told me that this show's theme was to be the word peers. It provides the opportunity to consider very eclectic things. First to come to mind is Piers Morgan, spelled P-I-E-R-S. He is a British broadcaster, journalist, writer and television personality who began his career in 1988 at The Sun. That's when I left Britain, partly because of The Sun, so I am not so sure what happened beyond that. All I can say is that throughout my travels in Europe and East and Southeast Asia, I've never met anyone who didn't revile him. Then there's Pierce Brosnan, spelt P-I-E-R-C-E, who is an Irish actor and film producer. He is best known as the fifth actor to play secret agent James Bond in the Bond film series, starring in four films from 1995 to 2002. Now, I stopped watching James Bond after that. I hope they bring him back to replace Daniel Craig, whose middle name, incidentally, is Piers, spelt P-I-E-R-S. More later.
The House of Lords, also known as the House of Peers, is the upper house of the Parliament in the United Kingdom. One becomes a peer by appointment, or it is an inheritance. Like the House of Commons, the peers meet in the Palace of Westminster in London. And here's another use of the word. Besides close friends, your peers, spelled P-E-E-R-S, include other people you know who are at the same age. Like people in your office, church, sports team or community, these peers also influence you by the way they dress and act and the attitudes they show. Then there's Pierre Pierce, an American professional college basketball player, former member of the University of Iowa's men's team. Pierce was convicted of several crimes relating to a violent incident with a former girlfriend leading to his imprisonment. Talking about peers can turn a little dark sometimes, and there's more to come. spelt P-S or postscript, is an additional remark at the end of a letter after the signature that provides further information on or a sequel to something. For example, P.S. I'm looking forward to seeing you soon. At the third person present of the verb to peer is peers, spelled P-E-E-R-S. It means to look keenly or with difficulty at something or someone. Pierce always screws up his eyes whenever he peers through his car's dirty windows. Then there's Pierce, spelt P-I-E-R-C-E. It means to make a hole in something with a sharp instrument. For example, I had to pierce another hole in my belt. The hole can be in the ears, nose, tongue, and other parts of the body so as to wear jewellery in them. I pierced my nose, and my mother lost her sh- Synonyms include penetrate, puncture, perforate, stab, impale, spike, lance. Piers, the word gets everywhere. You're listening to Bill's Big Bag of Musicologies, an astounding compilation of Aid's choices of music and the unexpected things he says.
P-I-A-S is a Belgian record label founded in 1983 by Kenny Gates and Michael Lambot. Piers' prominent early artists were electronic rock acts like Front 242, Meat, Beat, Manifesto and The Young Gods. Not a lot of people know that. Piers' soap, spelled P-E-A-R-S, is a British brand of transparent soap first produced and sold in 1807 by Andrew Piers at a factory just off Oxford Street in London. It was the world's first mass-produced translucent soap. Piers, spelled P-U-R-S-E in the Northern Irish dialect of English, is a small bag in which one carries money. Piers are the fruit that is arguably the most delicious of all when ripe and soft, but piers are one of the most irritating and alienating of fruits if still insufficiently ripe and still hard. Piers refers to the small spherical seed or seed pod of a flowering plant. Each pod contains several piers, which can be green or yellow. Botanically, pea pods are a fruit since they contain seeds and develop from the ovary of a flower. Gosh. Piers, spelt P-E-A-E-R-S, is a now archaic word which was once used to refer to itinerant rural peasants who roamed around East Anglia getting a daily wage for picking and shelling peers. Peers, spelled P-E-A-C-E, is another homonym in certain dialects. Recent research has revealed that in the 72 Miss World pageants held since 1951, 97% of the contestants, when asked, what matters the most to you, answered World Peers. And none of the 3% who said something else progressed any further in the competition. And one more, Pierce, spelled P-I-E-C-E, is an American English slang word for a revolver or pistol.
a few more. Beerst, in the Geordie dialect, is the word for a snow-covered area or track that is suitable for skiing. Piers is a Polish football club, full name Piers Gliwice, which has the distinction in Europe of not scoring a single goal in the 20 matches leading up to Christmas in the 1976 season. In banking, Piers, spelt P-I-A-S, stands for Payment, Initiation and or Acquiring Services, P-I-A-S, Piers. And finally, Piers is the word for the little plastic sleeve at each end of a shoelace in the Cornish language. And the Breton version is Peace. But these have been kept out of the Oxford Dictionary because of anti-Cornish prejudice. Thank you, Bill, for involving me. That's all the research I have on Piers. Wivenhoe is more than just art shops and jam by Ernest Mallory, 1946. Wivenhoe is more than just art shops and jams. It's a thousand years of cockles, mussels and clams, soil tilled by yeomen, crops scythed by youth, rejecting bad manners rejecting the uncouth. Wivenhoe is more than just gardens and lawns. Its fields stretch greenly, its trees delay dawns. Its church bells peal keenly, its cattle give milk. There are no squaddies here and chaps of that ilk. Wivenhoe is more than just brick, wood and thatches. There are flower beds and ponds and vegetable patches. Its folk are honest and they toil for their coins. Customs are passed down via seeds from local loins. Go to Colchester if you want to run and to race for soulless urban living and frowns on every face. You'll soon long for the small town that passes every exam, for Wivenhoe is more than just art shops and jam. Stato and you've heard it here first. Stato wants to start with my startling Stato stat of the week. There are 24 clubs in League 2. Each club plays each of the other clubs twice. Once at home, once away and is awarded 3 points for a win, 1 point for a draw and no points for a loss. From these points a league table is constructed. This is the situation in the League 2 league table as Stato speaks now. If you subtract Goals conceded from goals scored for each League 2 club. You get what is called their goal difference. Stato can reveal exclusively to Cone Radio that 50% of the clubs have a negative goal difference stat, while 50% of the goals have a positive one, with not a single club on zero. Having said that, and this is why Stato earns the big and undisclosed quantities of pounds sterling and stock options in Cone Radio, if you add up all the goal difference stats in League 2, both positive and negative, it adds up to exactly zero. Remarkable! Exactly zero. A perfect balance of digits, like matter and antimatter, but numerical. Although this bizarre statistical equilibrium may have happened on more than one occasion, a facet of this exposition that Stato will neither confirm or deny at this particular time, which I shall call the Stato Zero Mess Vortex, happened in 2006. And on that occasion, the club finished second in League One, resulting in promotion to the Championship, the second tier of English football. So the omen is not only good, but also statistically and methodologically sound. The following season, Colchester achieved a 10th place finish in the Championship. Average attendance, 5,466, the league's lowest, but Colchester's record highest finish. So hooray for the Stato Zero Nest Vortex, and hooray for me for spotting it and naming it after myself. Once in a 
This is Cone Radio on 106.6 FM. Here we have the musicologies from an episode of Box 39 on the topic of secret history. You'll never know how much I really love you. You'll never know how much I really care. Listen, do you want to know a secret? Do you promise not to tell? Oh, closer, let me whisper in your ear. Say the words you long to hear. I'm in love with you Listen I said, do you want to know a secret? One of Wivenhoe's great secrets is that the village was stricken by the so-called Dancing Plague in July and August 1518 when there were residents who were unable to resist an affliction whereby they literally danced to their deaths. It started when one Alfred Staunch appeared on Station Road and began to silently twist, turn and shake despite a lack of music, which continued for nearly a week, at which point he died of exhaustion. Before long, about a dozen other Wivenhoe residents had started gyrating in the same way. By August of that year, the dancing epidemic had claimed the lives of 45 people with no explanation at the time other than superstition or a religious cult may have triggered a self-induced hysteria. Another theory suggests the dancers had ingested ergot, a toxic mould that grows on damp rye and causes spasms and hallucinations. I've known a secret about a week or two Nobody knows Just we two Hey, now listen Do you want to know a secret? Do you promise not to tell? The secret behind the peculiarly high number of vegetarians in the small town of Brightlingsea dates back to a decree by its mayor in 1369 after he'd simply got fed up of the unbearable smell of raw meat and blood permeating the town, exacerbated by the fact that the townsfolk had a habit of tossing carcasses and rotting meat into the River Cone. Indeed, King Edward III had imposed a similar ban in London, where the inhabitants of the medieval city, both human and animal, produced 50 tonnes of excrement per day, which is the equivalent to more than six double-decker buses. Furthermore, when King Charles I was beheaded near the Houses of Parliament in Whitehall, people from Brightlingsea, who had a special dispensation, and despite the fact they were vegetarians, watched the execution and were allowed to go up and dip their handkerchiefs in the King's blood, because it was believed that it would cure their illnesses. 
that we don't build our hopes up too high Cause she's got her own obligations And so, and so do I say that the secret explanation behind Colchester United's poor performance these last few seasons is a delay of one week in lifting a royal ban on football in the Middle Ages caused by the primitive postal system at the time. In 1349, King Edward III outlawed football in all the towns of England, including Colchester, fearing that it would distract men from practicing their archery following the massive loss of life caused by the Black Death. England required as many archers as possible to fulfill Edward's military ambitions in both France and Scotland. Medieval football matches were chaotic events with few rules, frequently played between neighbouring towns and villages with opposing teams clashing to deliver an inflated pig's bladder from one end of town to the other. News that the ban had been lifted in 1405 reached Colchester a week late and the ewes have been catching up ever since. Listening to Bill's Big Back of Musicologies, celebrating the genius of Aid's musical selections and the unusual things he says. There's a man who leads a life of danger. To everyone he meets, he stays a stranger. One of Stanway's great secrets is the case of the green children in the 12th century. This legend began during the reign of King Stephen when a group of villagers came across a boy and a girl with green skin, apparently speaking gibberish and acting nervously near an old pit for catching wolves. This was according to Ralph of Elmstead Market. The children were later taken to the nearby home of Sir Richard Fanshawe, where he offered them food, but they repeatedly refused to eat. This went on for four days until the children discovered some green beans in Sir Richard's garden and ate them straight from the ground. 
It is believed that the children lived with him for several years, during which time he gradually transitioned them to normal food. This caused the children to lose their green complexion, and after they'd learnt English, they explained that they were from another world, where there was no sun, and it was separated by a large river. secrets of West Burgholt near Colchester is that its cemetery in the Middle Ages was not simply a place where the dead lay, but was also a busy social place used for all kinds of activities, and was much more than a place where the dead were deposited. In those times, people did not have morbid fear of the site of the cemetery, and in fact, it was not hidden away or enclosed within walls. It was a social gathering place, and a part of the community, and even a location for markets. 
People were known to drink and gamble there. The medieval people of West Bogolt loved playing dice, and the majority of the village's prostitutes worked there too. Interestingly, the burials must not have been very deep, because there is evidence that when the Cone River flooded in 1435, bodies were unearthed and seen floating upon the floodwaters. Things are different now, of course. Out on the plains of West Texas There's many a young boy Who feels things he can't comprehend And a small town don't like it When somebody falls between the sexes No small town don't like it When a cowboy has feelings for men I believe to my soul that inside every man there's the feminine. One of the secrets about Northeast Essex is that it produced England's finest urine for centuries. Many people do not think twice about their urine today, but this liquid human waste product was a valuable commodity in the Middle Ages. Urine was much in demand in medicine and had many uses. Urine is sterile when it exits the body, and it is actually a far safer cleaning agent than water. Physicians used fresh urine to treat sores, burns, infections, chapped anuses, gangrenous ulcers, and poison bites. Stale urine mixed with ash could be rubbed on your baby to treat nappy rash. Thomas Scroth of Colchester, the richest doctor in England at the time, instructed a young lady to drink it. And when he saw a man's nose sliced off in an argument in 1550, he promptly urinated on the fallen organ before stitching it back on. Wounds throughout England were washed in the finest urine from northeast Essex. all we have time for. You have been listening to Bill's Big Bag of Musicologies. Musicologies is a guppy production for Cone Radio and is committed to a varied, equitable and truly inclusive output that properly reflects the ethnic diversity of our community audience. Mm-hmm.